Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. And today we got a Q&A. That's it. Today's Q&A. Today's Q&A. We're going to jump right in. <laughs> All right. No, no introduction, no, no rants, no announcements. Yep. All right, cool. We will- Actually... Oh God! We might as well just tell them to go subscribe to the YouTube channel. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we, we got was, some good videos yeah. out, and we always save that for the end. So we might as well throw it at you at the beginning. Go to YouTube.com/slash Cody McBroom one, or click the link in the description of this podcast. Um, we've been dropping them twice a week. Do us a favor: go subscribe and go like the videos you watch, uh, so we know which ones you guys want us to create more around, like the topics. But also because the algorithm likes it. So if you like this podcast and you don't like YouTube, still go subscribe and like the videos because it literally helps us. At least go subscribe. Uh, the algorithm is important, um, and we appreciate your help in growing it. But if you like this podcast, I would imagine you love the YouTube channel because uh, they are bite-sized versions of this. You don't have to listen to it as long as a podcast, but it is extremely dense with information. Just like like the rest of the shit on our website. So also go to tailoredcrushingmethod.com because we have guides, we have webinars, we have blogs. I actually just posted a new blog on ab training, another one on volume from last week, um, and then how to track macros at restaurants. I mean, I've been cranking those out every week too. We have another one coming out on two days next week. Um, so we're putting out a lot of long-form content, guys. Go check all that out. It's all free. It's all extremely informative and way more helpful than TikTok or Reels. So go check it out. <laughs> Not a big TikTok guy. No. All right, cool, guys. We got a lot of good questions here, and we will start the first question off with Gail Workman. It says, what is your view on low-carb diets with Hashimoto's? Hashimoto's. (laughs) Um, So I think uh, this is one of those things where I I don't even know – like, for example, PCOS has been associated with potentially some insulin resistance. But then, so a lot of people said, like, low-carb diets are the route. But then if you really start looking at how to uh, eliminate insulin resistance, you actually don't even have to go low-carb. You just have to create a calorie deficit because protein and fats can also create an insulin spike. Calories create insulin spikes. Um, insulin is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's a, it's, a, it's essentially an energy shuttle. It's a hormone that helps you literally convert the, the food you're taking in into energy. Now, insulin can make you store energy as fat, but it can also help you store energy as muscle. It's why bodybuilders literally inject insulin into them uh, because it will make their muscles more insulin sensitive and then store more nutrients in the insulin. So you want to optimize insulin. You don't want to remove it. And I say that because low-carb diets are usually promoted just for that. Like that's their whole basis is that like the, the insulin obesity model is this thing that they believe that the reason America in the world is obese is because people have chronically elevated insulin levels. But more than likely, it's that obese people end up having chronically elevated insulin levels and they need to lose weight and go on a caloric-restricted diet in order to drop insulin levels. And insulin levels won't drop from necessarily because of the carbs, but because, I mean, if you lower your carbs, they will. But at the same time, you can have pure egg whites and see, and or just whey protein, you'll see an insulin spike. So they need to lose weight to improve their insulin health. Um, with that being said, I don't necessarily think the low carb diet is necessary for Hashimoto's. I think it's a very similar approach why they did that. Um, but at the end of the day, you just need a low carb approach or I'm sorry, a low calorie approach, not necessarily a low anything. Uh, and if you look at like, uh, I mean, there's a lot of actual studies, but the, the rice experiment is the best example of this where they just literally, it was like a 90, 90 to 95% carb diet. Like it was just ridiculously high by Dr. Walter... 
or maybe it was yeah, something Walters or something like that. But type in the rice experiment if you guys want to go into it. It's a really fascinating thing, but they basically had uh, predominantly just white rice all day. I think they had uh, a little bit of fruit juice extract, which was a little bit of fructose. But the reason for that was just to get some vitamins and minerals in their diet. Um, but next to zero fat, and, and it was a very, very, very high-carb diet, obviously. Um, I don't know if you pulled it up or not. Uh, Walter Kemp. Kemper? There you go. Walter Kemper. It says somebody else, uh, Dr. McDoggle. Anyway. He might have been involved Walter in it. Kemper. Um, but it was an experiment to, to basically prove this against this theory back. And it's a really old study, but these people lost on average like 160 pounds. So it was taking people who were obese and clearly had insulin issues and amongst many other health issues. They lost all this weight on a purely carbohydrate diet and they lowered insulin. They improved all of their blood markers. Mm. And to me, that's kind of where this resides too. Usually with people who have Hashimoto's, there's a, there's an issue with the thyroid. Usually when there's an issue with the thyroid, we see a reduction in BMR or RMR, basal or resting metabolic rate. So your metabolism slows down a little bit, which means you just have to have a bigger deficit. Usually people pull carbs because most people pull carbs and they don't replace it with fat. So I think things like this get popular when Somebody with, uh, and I'm going to categorize this with PCOS, not because they're similar, but because the same thing happens to people with PCOS, but an everyday person has PCOS or hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's or whatever, and they go to Pinterest or they see something in a magazine and, and it says like, try low carb, remove these 10 foods. So they go home, they remove all those foods. They don't replace it with anything. So what happens? They go on a massive calorie deficit. They lose a bunch of weight. They improve their insulin sensitivity. They improve their thyroid dysfunction and Hashimoto's. And they lose weight. And sometimes Hashimoto's is, is to the point where you, you might not necessarily get rid of it because it's a thing, right? PCOS, you might not get rid of it. It just might put up some resistance to your weight loss pursuit. And if that's the case, then what you need to do is lose weight in a different way to still get through that roadblock or that speed bump essentially. Um, so it's going to present itself as a difficulty no matter what, but you don't need to cut carbs. Um, and I think that's where like that myth came from. And a lot of times if you look at, uh, I saw some infographic that was like uh, best food for people with Hashimoto's or it might've been PCOS, but I've seen similar things, but nonetheless it was like oats, sweet potatoes, like vegetables, uh, like berries. And you look at it and you're like, that's the same shit I recommend to anybody losing weight. It's high fiber, slow digesting, so it's filling, and it's healthy. It has a lot of micronutrients in it. Nothing special about that. You know what I mean? It's not like we recommend, like, if you don't have anything, we have, like, a Snickers bar on there or something, right? So I think in most cases, it's just it's fear-mongering. It's propaganda. There's no, like, diet for those type of uh, people with Hashimoto's or anything like that in my experience or awareness. I think it's more along the lines of you have to find a way to increase satiety, get whole food protein sources in while creating a calorie deficit. So it's going to be high fiber, uh, high satiating foods, um, high protein, obviously, and that's going to help you lose weight, build lean tissue. That's going to improve your insulin sensitivity. It's going to improve your metabolic rate and you'll be able to lose weight. Totally. Calorie deficit's key. That's like the biggest thing. Um, the only thing I will say, last but not least, and this isn't proven because a lot of gut health stuff isn't, to be honest with you, there's not that much, especially around like intolerances and sensitivities, there's just not that much research to back it up. But there is, there are some people that will claim uh, or say that, you know, Hashimoto's is also associated with some food intolerances. And whether or not that's a causation or a correlation, like you just also happen to have this food intolerance, you just happen to be lactose intolerant too, um, or it's like hypothyroidism creates sensitivity in the gut that usually leads to people having, who knows. Mm. Uh, but nonetheless, if you feel like you're one of those people uh, and you would know by like having extreme bloat or digestive stress when you have something, then that might be something you want to be aware of. And I'm talking about like 
if you think you're lactose intolerant because you ate a, a full medium pizza and, and it hurt your stomach, like I'm talking like, no, you had like a little cup of Greek yogurt and it really fucked with your stomach the next day. Like that is what you're intolerant. Yeah. yeah. Um, because people do that too. They yeah. say like, they don't think they can handle gluten. And I'm like, oh, well, what'd you have? And it's like the whole sleeve of Oreos, you know? Which I don't even know if gluten's in Oreos. I was going to say, I don't know what that's a good example. But. I mean, gluten's in most, uh, what is that? that there's that show, uh, that movie, In the End, or This is the End, with Jonah Hill and all them. Oh, yeah. And, and he's like, I'm on a gluten-free diet. And he's like, what's gluten? He was like, gluten's everything that tastes amazing. <laughs> and it's a, it's kind of the case. Like, yeah. gluten is a glue. That's awesome. It's essentially like a, a binding agent. So it's a binding Starch. protein that... Not all starches have to have it because oh. you can you can replace. That's why there's gluten free oats, gluten free bread and stuff. But it is in bread as a way to bind grains together and, and yeah. so on and so forth. But um, yeah, not that many people are actually yeah. gluten sensitive or intolerant. Do you like ground turkey? Eh, not yeah. a huge fan. Why? Uh, I was just wondering. Been eating a lot. Have you? Yeah. Does it fuck with your stomach? No. <laughs> you have a food intolerance to it. It's just good. You were talking about whole uh, whole food proteins and stuff. Yeah. And- I, I, it depends. Like, we'll do ground turkey stuffed peppers. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yeah. Fire. Yeah. Um, I If I had to choose, like, okay, if we're talking taste, ground bison, ground beef, way better. Yeah. But if I'm talking about diet, extra lean ground turkey. Yeah. That's what I go. It's like, by the time you cook it, it's white. Yeah. You're like, what the fuck? Yeah. It's Not so low lean, fat. But yeah. yeah. But that's, like, diet food. Yeah. You know, so. I've been having those lettuce, uh, like, oh, yeah. Thai lettuce wraps. Super good. Yeah. Yeah. That was but, in, but, in the recipe book. What recipe book? The tailored one. Oh, I don't know. Oh, yeah. It's in Just there. Something that... So if you guys want uh, 101 free macro-friendly Go download recipes. it. Yeah. That's another free guide on the website. All right. Cool. Let's go to the next question here. We got um, Susan Baker. I'm a 59-year-old female. I feel like I have fairly healthy lifestyle. I'm in the gym Monday through Friday to compete to complete an hour of CrossFit-style workouts. I am on a fat loss journey slash body comp changes. My current struggle is to really figure out out what my goals are. Why as figure out my goals and why as I age, I can't seem to pinpoint beyond mobile mobility as I age a goal that motivates and challenges me. Can you talk about aging and fitness? So it remains challenging, inspiring to provide some suggestions for challenges or goals. Okay. So go back to the part where she said, can you what? Uh, my struggle is to really figure out what my goals are. I can't seem to pinpoint pinpoint beyond mobi- mobility <clears throat> as I age. She said, "Can you, you talk about you aging and fitness so it remains challenging and inspiring?" Um, I don't have to talk about shit to let you know that it's challenging as you age. Yeah, I mean that's just a fact, you know. Yeah. And that's for uh, that's not like any category. As you age, it just gets more difficult. Your body is going through more shit. Plain and simple, like. I have more aches and pains now than I did when I started training, you know, and I'm going to be 30 here soon. So I'm not old, but that's what happens when you beat your body up in the gym five to six days a week, you know, for years and years and years. Um, I think that, uh, I mean, that's, that's really hard. You, I think you have to have intrinsic motivation. So a lot of people, uh, focus so much on the extrinsic motivation, which is external, uh, instead of the intrinsic, which is within you, right? Like what inside of you has this burning desire to do what you want to do? So I, I really can't, I can tell you that that's the key, but I can't determine what that is for you, you know? And I will say that I think mobility is way overhyped. I don't think people need to focus on mobility half as much as they do because, you know, mobility is actually strength, 
and flexibility put together in a way. So like, for example, if somebody is extremely flexible, like, right. So somebody who can like go down and touch their toes and they can get like their whole palm to the floor, legs locked out, just no problem. Right. And then you go, okay, cool. Like let's do an RDL and they can't lift shit off the floor because they're not strong. Well, they don't have mobility. They have flexibility. Right. If somebody does a dip and they go super low and they can get all the way down there, but then you go, okay, press back up with strict form and they just can't do anything. They don't have mobility. Mobility is strength through flexible ranges, full ranges. So weight training is mobility. Weight training is the best kind of mobility. Full range of motion training is literally the best type of mobility. So even if mobility is your goal, I would actually really start to learn what mobility is. And there's some good YouTube videos out there on this from like strength athletes and bodybuilders and they talk about if you spend so much time doing flexibility and mobility with no weight, it's it's not really that productive. Because even if I go through some crazy mobility drills and my hips seem like they're super mobile, but then I go like get hit by a car or I got to crawl or I'm climbing a rock or anything like that, now I have load, resistance, uh, anti-rotation, all these things like forces being pushed against me and I'm fucked because I'm not strong in those positions, right? So strength in those ranges is really what like the ultimate goal of mobility is. So if mobility is your thing and that's what you get off on, then like start adding load. Plain and simple, you know, like take the mobility to the most productive way. Yeah, because that's what really productive mobility is. And I would say like anti-aging or anti-injury mobility is because you don't get hurt by putting yourself in like a really crazy hip mobility like position. You know, you never like get forced into that position in day-to-day life. Yeah. You get fucked up by falling or getting hit by a car or trying to lift a barbell or trying to lift something because that's and that's another good example somebody is uh, super mobile they can touch their toes they can bend around and then you ask them to lift up something heavy off the floor and they hurt their back or they pull their hamstring why because you can touch your toes all day you can you know do shin boxes till the the cows come home or whatever the saying is <laughs> but you, yeah you, you can't lift something heavy off the floor yeah so um I, that's one thing i would point out the other thing is just again the external versus internal motivation and I would just sit down with a journal and like, why do you want to do this? And then also figure out like, if you don't want to do it, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, like I I answered somebody's question on Instagram on my story and he was like, he's done like seven physique competitions. He's 51 years old. And he's like, I just don't have the motivation to train anymore. What would you do? And I said, stop going to the gym, stop competing literally because the, the, there's that saying, uh, time away makes the heart grow fonder. Right. I experience this every time. Like, Every time I go out of town, like I come home and I'm so unbelievably happy to see my family and I just miss them so much, you know, but when you leave, you're like so stoked to get out of the house and go on a trip. Yeah. It's the same thing with training. So like I I told them, I was like, just don't go to the gym for a little bit. You're not gonna lose all your gains. Like even for some people, like you could take a week off and you're dying to get back in the gym, but it reignites that fire really easily. Um, And if you're somebody who you feel that often train balls to the wall for eight weeks straight and then take two weeks completely out of the gym as a deload. Don't like light training, just fucking completely out of the gym. That's not going to be that much less advantageous than doing a deload week in the gym. And that will ignite that fire again. But ultimately I think, I do think it's that, that internal motivation because, you know, going through this cut right now, like the external motivation for me to go through this cut and do a photo shoot would be because I want people to see that I have abs or something like that. Right. I want this, like, it's like an ego thing. It's, it's a, um, I want, I want feedback. I want engagement, like stuff like that. But the reason this has been way easier for me and I'm not like, like I'm tired, especially like this week and last week, like I can feel it for sure, but I'm not like tired of dieting. Mm -hmm. Like I'm in this and it's because I have an internal driver and it's, and it's things like, 
number one for me being a leader in the industry and for my team and for the members. Like it's not because I need them to see how ripped I am. It's because I need to, them to see me finish this. What you know you what did. I mean? Exa- what are you committed to? Exactly. Yeah. Um, last night, Shannon made these uh, like peanut butter oat with cocoa, like all organic sugar-free syrup. So it's like a, it looked really good. It was like a oat bar thing. And she was like, do you want to try it? Like, and I was like, no, I'm good. And she was like, just a little bite. It's not going to like throw you out of the desert like that. And I was like, no, but like mentally, the fact that I'm saying no is me sticking to what I committed to and I have a week left. So it means more to me to not try it. And next week I'm going to ask you to make them again. Like it's, but it's, it's finishing what I started, you know, but that's internal. It's not about how lean I get. It's about doing what I said I was going to do. Yeah. Or, um, I was talking to somebody about this and, uh, I really like the idea of going to Blakely's soccer games or ballet and shit like that. And just knowing that it's very unlikely there's going to be a more fit dad there than me. And I like that. Like, it makes me feel fucking good. Like, Blakely's, like, says how, like, big and strong I am. Or, like, I'll pick up something. And she's like, your muscles are big, dad. And I'm like, thank you. Like, and then in my mind, I'm just like, oh, fuck, yeah. But as a dad, it makes you, because, like, I've heard Shannon call her dad, uh, like, her, her hero. Yeah. Like, CJ said it before, too. He's like, that guy's, like, Superman to me. Yeah. He always yeah. in that way. And I think about that, and I'm like, I want Blakely to forever think I'm fucking Superman to yeah. you know? But I have to be physically fit for that. You don't, but... You kind of do. My dad's my hero. He's not fit. The way I'm talking about Superman is a little bit different than that. Okay. Somebody you look up to is one thing, 100%. Okay. But the way she looks up to me as a man, part of that is 100% physical. And mm. this, is, this is, again, intrinsic because the way I define a man is a few different things. Okay. Right? Obviously there's a, there's a respect factor. I think there's a knowledge factor too. Like I think most men are uh, not even like book smart, but like street smart, you know, yeah. they have experience. They've, they're not afraid to get their hands dirty, things like that. But part of it to me is physical. And that's just how I define being a man. And usually when somebody grows up in your household, they end up defining it the same way as you, you know? Totally. Um, so that means a lot to me. And I think about like, it's funny cause I think about uh, like seeing pictures of my dad, fucking beating people up in karate and doing shit like that. And like, he was like fucking ripped doing Korean karate. Like was this thing as a black belt. But like, I remember associating that with like my dad's badass and like, he'll protect me. And like, that's manly. Totally. Um, but point being is those are all intrinsic to me. It doesn't matter what you define the hero or anything or, or whatever anybody else sees. It just matters what I feel when I'm fit. Totally. But that helps me finish the cut so much more. You know what I mean? So I think, Ultimately, the, like what I'm getting at is that you have to figure out what that internal driver is for you, for you. And yeah. I was, and this goes for everything in life. I was talking to somebody today, one of my clients, um, and they were, they're struggling with, uh, like business, but like in a way of like, why am I doing this kind of thing? And I'm like, you're constantly setting business goals instead of setting life goals and figuring out how, how your business can support that. So I think that fitness needs to be very similar. And so in business, it's like, what kind of life do I want to live? What kind of people do I want to be around? What kind of things do I want to experience? All that stuff. How does my business support that? Mm -hmm. So for me, it's like, how do I become a leader? How do I become, uh, how do I do things I want to do in life? Travel place I want to travel, have things I want to have, not like material wise necessarily, but things that I'm actually interested in that like fulfill my life. How do I create a business that allows that, right? So if you're working yourself into the ground and spending all of your time working constantly forever, because there's always a period of time where you have to do that to get somewhere at a high stature, you end up in a place where you're like, it's just for money and it's just to keep growing the money that doesn't do anything for you. What is it for? Mm -hmm. Same thing with fitness. It's like if fitness 
if you get too deep into fitness and it uh, doesn't allow you to do other things in life, what's the point of being fit? The point of being fit is to have, to enjoy the body you're living in essentially, right? So I don't know. I think that uh, you got to do some soul searching. Everybody's different, you know? Um, I enjoy bodybuilding. So like my training isn't necessarily like, it's not going to help me go play pickup ball or anything like that, you know, but, um, makes me stronger and resilient and it, and it fulfills me. And like, that's that totally, you know, so that's a great answer. Yeah. I don't know. It, I think that's really hard. It's a hard question to answer because everybody's so different, exactly. you know? Um, but I think there's a baseline to everybody. Yeah. You know? Or just listen to how I look at it for me and just think of how you would look at it for you. Mm-hmm. I love it, man. I think that's really helpful. All right, cool. We will move on to the next one. It's coming from Kaylee. Kaylee who? I'm not sure, but it's Kaylee. Uh, I, in a reverse diet and or maintenance, how precise... Oh, I think this is a... If you are in a reverse or at maintenance, how precise would you recommend being with hitting all of your macros? Or would you suggest aiming for a range of calories, protein, and fiber? Thanks. I think the more advanced you are, the more specific you need to be with these kind of metrics. Um, so if you're in, in my mind, if you're in a reverse or at maintenance, you're probably pretty advanced because you've probably already gone through a diet or you're at least somewhat advanced. And I guess it, it also depends on like the, the specificity of your goal. Like if you're just like, all right, I lost, you know, 20 pounds and I just want to be healthy you could easily get away with tracking just calories, protein, and fiber and be totally fine. Um, but if you if you have very, very specific goals with body composition or timeline or periodization or anything, you just got to be more specific. The more advanced you get or the more specific your goal, the more specific the metrics you track need to be. Um, so during a reverse, the only thing I will say is that if you're in a reverse and you're just tracking protein, calories, and fiber – um, fiber is an easy one. Cause you just like, I don't even think people need to track fiber unless you're having problem going to the bathroom and otherwise you don't have to worry about it. Cause if you're eating enough, if you're in a reverse or maintenance, you probably don't have to worry about that. The only time you have to worry about getting enough fiber to keep going poop is if you're in a big deficit, because then you know, your carbs are probably lower and you're probably not getting enough fiber through your carbohydrates. Um, so you have to probably pay more attention to it. It's the same reason why like sodium can be somewhat important for some people when they start going to a deficit because if you go too far into a deficit and you're eating less food and less meals and your sodium uh, drops you're going to get cramps you're not going to uh, you know and a lot of sodium has iodine which is going to be helpful for your thyroid which influences the metabolism um i mean you've seen me cramp up in the gym multiple mm-hmm. times in the last couple of weeks mm-hmm. it's the final stages of the fucking diet mm-hmm. um so i supplement with salt <laughs> while i'm fucking training uh that's what's in my shaker bottle Oh, yeah. I was like, when are you eating salt? Yeah, gotcha. one of them is in there. And I say salt, but it's, I mean, electrolytes are salt, yeah. you know. But Oh, okay. So it's not like just pure table salt, obviously. Multi, it's, yeah. Multiple uh, Gatorades. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, well, even yesterday, I just forgot my shaker, so I poured stuff into Gatorade yeah. bottles. But um, oh. that wasn't even Gatorade. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but the with the reverse, I like to be a little bit more specific simply because if you're just tracking calories, so like, for example, calories are usually rounded. So if you have a food label and it says uh, 100 calories, it could be anywhere between 80 to 120 because there's a 20 to 25% margin of error on a calorie label. However, excuse me, macros are not rounded. 
So if we're reverse dieting and we're just going off protein and calories, we're not going to be that specific. So if you're trying to reverse slowly to sustain the result you got, you probably need to track all the macros because you are trying to inch up specific macros to go through the reverse diet properly. And it's a more specific metric. Whereas if you were just tracking calories, you're going to be fluctuating all over. Um, because again, even if it's, even if like you, let's say it, it was only like 5% off or something like you have some that's 100 calories. Let's say it was it was actually 96 calories. It's only four calories, but that's one item in one meal. And let's say you have three to five items per meal. You eat four to five meals per day. You have, let's say, 20 different items that could potentially be rounded all by a little bit. You end up being anywhere between, you know, I mean, again, 20 to 25% off calories based on all the food labels. So it's it's just macros in, in calorie tracking is already an estimation, because it's never exact. So adding another layer of estimation just makes the the margin of error even bigger. So I don't, if I'm doing a reverse diet, I would rather track all the macros. Um, and in my experience as well, reverse dieting works better. That is if you want to sustain the, the level of leanness. You got when we reverse diet carbohydrates more so than fat. Um, typically what I would suggest to people is when we're dieting, we try to avoid lowering fat until the tail end of the diet. And then when we do lower fat at the end, we can just bring it up barely. So like, let's say, let's say 50 grams of fat is like your, your, your zone of like, this is where my hormones are fine. I'm healthy. But at the tail end of the diet, we had to go down to like 40. Okay. The first reverse diet adjustment, we bump it up to 50. And then from there, we're just inching your carbs up through the reverse diet because the carbs are going to stimulate energy expenditure more likely than fat will because carbohydrates support your brain, support your muscles, support your liver. Like they push you to move more and do more and lift more and recover more. So if we're talking about a nutrient that's actually going to produce more of a caloric expenditure down the road or more output, it's definitely going to be carbohydrates compared to fat. Um, and fat is more likely to be stored as fat. Um, even if you are overfeeding. So people say, yeah, but if calorie, if it's calories equate, it's not the fat that's making you gain fat. It's the calories. And that's true. But fat is still the thing that's going to store as fat. Yep. Um, Martin had a really good, uh, Martin McDonald had a good, uh, like a analogy basically had like a cup and he said like there was sand in the bottom of the cup and that's protein and then he has water that he pours in that's carbohydrates and then he has oil so even if he poured all the oil in first which is the fat as he pours in the carbohydrates or the water the oil is going to rise to the top because there's a separation of the fluids right mm -hmm. and so as he pours in more carbohydrates into an overfed state the oil spills out the top not the water that's exactly what happens. Even if you overfeed on carbohydrates, the fat that you took in is going to store as fat, which is why when we see refeed studies, it makes a lot of sense to refeed with carbohydrates and even lower your fats if you need to because the carbohydrates are going to store in the muscle cell. They're not going to store as fat. Uh, de novo lipogenesis is the process of storing carbs as fat, and it's a very difficult process for your body to do. Damn. So it's just going to put the fats in there. Um, again, fat's not going to store as fat unless you're in a calorie surplus, obviously, but uh, point being is when we're reverse dieting, I like to keep fats a little bit on the lower side because there is a potential spillover effect. And if it's less likely to spill over, if we predominantly do so via carbohydrates, because we're being careful and we're just adding carbs, it makes a lot of sense to me because carbohydrates are more metabolically stimulating, more likely to create a uh, energy expenditure effect and less likely to source fat. So we can kind of gauge where uh, your tolerance of calories and, and carb carbohydrates are when we reverse diet you. Totally. If that makes sense. But, yeah. um, so I would track them all is, is what I'm getting at. I think maintenance phase, you could get away with just protein and calories because you're already there. Yeah. So <clears> think <throat> of it like, 
Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, think of it like this. Like you stop the diet at 1,500 calories and you reverse all the way up to 2,000 calories by carefully increasing calories. Once you're at that 2,000, we know that it's a maintenance range. It's not a maintenance set target. So once we reverse diet from 1,500 all the way to 2,000, we can stop there and be like, okay, I'm comfortable here. But I also know that there's a range here, which means that anywhere between 1,800 to 2,200, let's say, I'm going to maintain my weight. I'm not going to gain weight if I go up a little bit. I'm not going to lose weight if I go down a little bit. If I want to lose weight, I got to go way below my maintenance range. Or if I want to gain weight, I got to go way above it, right? This is that thrifty metabolism. 500 calorie range. Uh, That's a 400 calorie, but that's hypothetical. Everybody's different. It depends on the thriftiness of your metabolism. But the point is, is like once we work you up to that 2000 mark and we know that there's this range that you can hover in, at that point, you can go, okay, I've reverse dieted by meticulously tracking macros. Now I can stop tracking macros and just track protein and calories because even if the calories are estimated off food labels and I'm a little bit off, it doesn't matter because I know I'm in my range and I'll stay there. But the process of finding your range requires more specificity. Totally. I think that's a better way of explaining it. Yep. All right, good, good. Um, I just had never heard of, I know you already explained this, but I'd never heard of people tracking fiber, which just sounds like kind of rare. Like you explained about. Yeah, I think it's it's where like there's certain things that people get into that it's just like, so like, for example, um, tracking sodium too. It's like, I don't have people do that unless like, like I'll be tracking sodium starting tomorrow because I have a photo shoot. Because if you're really lean and you manipulate sodium in a positive way, which Like basically what I'm doing is like I'm not manipulating my sodium. I'm making sure I'm steady with my sodium because sodium, you retain water very easily when you have fluctuations in sodium, but you also have issues when you drop sodium too rapidly and it's very unhealthy. So you can have extremely high sodium levels, but if it's high every day, you're not going to see weight water retention at all. But if you go from 3,000 to 4,000, you're going to see water retention. But if you just kept it at 4,000, for good, you would stop having water retention. Your body regulates it so well. Um, But sodium, uh, they call it the sodium potassium pump. So we all have potassium in our diets and everything like that. But sodium helps us retain fluids and carbohydrates in the muscle and helps us get a better pump. So while I'm dieting and while I'm getting closer to the shoot, I want to maintain my sodium level so that I don't like show up on the photo shoot day and I'm like flat and I can't get a pump because I got more simple with my foods. So when you have a photo shoot or a bodybuilding show, typically we go like super bro diet. We don't want to have a bunch of broccoli and Brussels and things that are hard to digest or cause bloat. You want spinach, asparagus, fish, like light food because you just want to digest really easily and avoid bloat, right? Well, a lot of times when you do that, you could potentially manipulate the diet and reduce sodium by accident, right? So when we start manipulating diet, we just want to go, okay, we got to keep our sodium at a good level. So we might have to add salt to keep it there so that when the day comes, I can get a good pump. That's basically the whole idea. But for 95% of people, it's pointless. Unless you have hypertension and you need to make sure you don't get too much salt because you have an issue with salt uh, secretion and absorption, then you don't have anything to worry about. You know what I mean? There's no reason to. Same thing with fiber. Fiber is kind of like, if you're going to poop every day, you're good. Like You don't need to worry about anything. Um, now, some people will get constipation and stuff like that. And then I'm like, well, let's look at your fiber. And they're getting way too much fiber. So there's definitely a range that you want to stay within. But most people, if you're hitting your calories, it's like very hard not to get enough fiber unless you're eating really shitty. Like you got to be eating really bad food. Yeah. Um, So I usually don't recommend worrying about those things. Same thing with like mono, poly, and unsaturated fat. If you're eating a really healthy diet, you don't need to like sit there and go, well, how much mono compared to poly compared to saturated am I getting? Um, If you're eating a healthy diet, you're you're probably not getting too much saturated fat, which is a good thing. We don't want that much saturated fat, but a little bit's going to be fine. 
we want a good amount of poly and mono, but if you're eating whole foods, it's just going to happen. Totally. You know, so. All right, cool. Let's uh, move on to the next one. It comes from Sherry Kividal. Kividal. Number, uh, looks like a two, uh, two-part question. It says, part one, how do you know when it's time to stop reverse dieting? Do you want to answer in sections or do you want me to read the rest? Um. Well, let's just sections, unless they go together. But, okay, go ahead. Um, you know when to stop reverse dieting when you've reached the point. I mean, like, there's there's two points when you know you're there. Like, I think that, and this is, again, I'm not going to dive into the, like, adaptive metabolism talk too much, but certain people have a highly adaptive or responsive metabolism. So what they will find is as they reverse diet and bring their calories up, they just don't gain weight. And so some of those people feel like they can just keep going. And I've literally had people where I just keep reverse dieting. And the reason I stopped them is because I'm like, hey, do you want to eat more food? And they're like, not really. Like I'm eating plenty. I have flexibility when I need it. And I don't want to eat more. Like it's, it becomes a burden. You know, if you, some people have a, such a, an adaptive metabolism where usually it's, a, it, they're compensating. So their body is kicking up meat and energy expenditure and things like that. Um, and they have a type of metabolism that is responds really well and they don't w- gain weight easily, but you get to a point where it's like, okay, why are we doing this? Yeah. Like you don't want to eat more food. So if you get to a point where it's uncomfortable to eat more, uh, and, or you're not trying to pursue muscle growth because some people get to that point where they're like, I don't really want to eat more, but I want to start putting on some size and we go, okay, we got to eat. So suck it up and you got to eat some food. Uh, and then other people are like, I'm good. I don't want to put on size. I just wanted to reverse diet. So you stop there. The other person is the person that you keep reversing them until they start getting weight. And when they start getting weight, you pull back because you know that they've reached their maintenance. So the point of a reverse diet is to find your maintenance. And the best way to do that is to first calculate where your new maintenance should be. So the same formula you would have used when you first started the diet, but now you're at a lighter weight. So you would just literally use the same exact equation, but instead of putting in 200 pounds like you did the first time you did it, you put in 160 because you lost 40 pounds, let's say. Well, now that you lost 40 pounds, the equation is going to give you a much lower number to maintain your weight. That's probably going to be your goal maintenance uh, calorie intake, but then you're just going to inch your way up there just in case because we know that there's errors and formulas like that. In real world situations, it's probably more accurate to just go by feel and do it. Um, and you're going to inch your way towards that number. And then once you get to that number or around that number, whether that's a little bit below it or a little bit above it, that's when you stop. And when your weight starts gaining up a little bit more than you would like, you pull back. Um, so, which can be hard. Like I have a client right now going through reverse really well and we'll adjust every like three weeks now because we reached a point where I'm like, this is an acceptable maintenance, but I think we can push it a little bit further and she wants to push it further. And so we'll adjust by a little bit. She'll usually gain a pound. And then the next week she'll lose a half a pound and then she loses another half a pound and then we adjust again. So it takes three weeks and we're going to get to a point where it might be longer, but you got to be patient with it. That's where it's like, we're increasing calories just for the sake that she wants more food and she wants more energy in the gym. And so it's like, okay, we're going to bump up. Your weight's going to fluctuate up and then it'll probably come back down a little bit. And then we bump up again it'll come up and it'll come back down a little bit. But when it gets to a point where it goes up two pounds and then drops a half a pound and that's it instead of going up a pound and then down a pound after two weeks, now we've gone up a pound and a half over the course of three or four weeks. Now I know, okay, we've passed our limit because you're not going to build a pound and a half of muscle in a week and a half, totally. two weeks. It's just not going to happen. So uh, when you gain weight and it doesn't stabilize or you just don't want to eat more food. Yeah. Cool. All right. The next part is after after so long of restrict restricting, I'm finding it hard to hit calorie goals up. Uh, calorie goals of reverse dieting any suggestions and does it hurt the reverse dieting 
You may have to answer this in other podcasts. I'm relatively new, one month to your content. Uh, she says, uh, I am not, uh, wait, shout out to my trainer, Haley. She's awesome. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to match up. Oh yeah. There we go. Um, okay. So she's wondering, uh, how to more easily hit her calories that she needs to hit in a reverse diet. Yep. Um, yeah. So like calorie dense foods, not voluminous foods. So if you're eating like brown rice, switch to white rice, if you're eating, uh, like, uh, two cups of broccoli with dinner, have a half a cup so you can still get some of those nutrients and then add pasta or white rice or a potato, you know, add starch in there. I see a lot of people that have like diet mentality when they go into a reverse diet. And I think that's the problem. And diet mentality would be low calorie foods, high fiber foods, lots of lettuce and vegetables and produce and lean meats. When you go, go through a reverse diet and you start having more calories and it's hard, this is where I'm like, hey, add a little bit of oil, have steak instead of chicken, have some pasta, have some more starch. Like I think a lot of people think they have to have more vegetables than they need. Like if you get two to three servings of vegetables and, a, and a, at least one, if not two to three servings of fruit per day, you got all your micronutrient needs covered, especially if you're having a multivitamin every day. Like eat some starch. I see a lot of people that avoid starch because they're so used to dieting that when they go through a reverse diet, they're afraid to have white rice or bread or oats or pasta or potatoes. But those are starchy carbs, which are going to be glucose in the system, and glucose is going to be stored in muscle glycogen. So if we're going through a reverse diet and we want to get the best results during a reverse diet, we want more starch because starch is going to stimulate the thyroid more, and it's going to be stored in the muscle cell more as muscle glycogen, which is going to be helpful for training performance and recovery, as well as actually looking lean and building muscle tissue. So a lot of times that's it, like denser foods. You know what I mean? Add a little bit of fattier meats into the diet if you need to. Um, don't be afraid to throw some whole eggs in there. Like, obviously, if you're just bringing carbs up, it's just a matter of switching low-carb items for starchier items. So, like, less fruits and vegetables, more starchy carbs, as long as you're just hitting your minimum quota. Totally. Um, but, yeah, just – and don't – like, like if you've ever watched the Hunger Hacks video on YouTube – those are things you don't want to do. Yeah. So if you're adding baking powder and doing sugar-free syrup and all these things that like are low, low or zero calorie, but they fill you up a ton, stop. Don't do those things. Remove those things, eat just normal food, and then you'll actually stimulate hunger more. For sure. All right, cool. We have one more here. It says, it's from Melissa Shaver. It says, how do you break the yo-yo diet and how do you handle body dysmor dysmorphia? <sighs> That's a loaded question. Um, I think the way to handle body dysmorphia is completely individual. So it's really, uh, in, in some ways it's out of my scope of practice to even answer that on this podcast. Cause it's, it's literally something going on Sounds in your like mind. Sounds like very private talk. It is. And it's, and it's, I mean, that's something for a therapist technically. Yep. Um, but I, but I believe that it's through a lot of like just deep self work and working on self-worth, acceptance, appreciation, I do think you can reverse those things. Um, I also think education helps. So a lot of times I've seen people who have gotten out of that by educating themselves more on what health means. So being lean is healthy, but being too lean is not necessarily healthy. And I think environment plays a big role of this too. So 
before I go into that, the education side of things, just go do your research. Like as far as look into dieting, reverse dieting, periodization, health, metabolism, hormones. When you start to go through those things, you realize how important maintenance phases are. Having a little bit of more body fat on your body at times is like building muscle, eating in a surplus. You learn that those things are actually really health promoting. And then it gives you more justification to do those things. Because even when it comes time to eat more and you're scared to do it, at least in the back of your mind, you know that there's a good reason for this for your life and health. Totally. But I would say the best advice I can give that's not out of my scope of practice is audit your environment. Like I've talked to people about this many times, um, specifically women who I'm like, okay, first and foremost, who do you follow on Instagram? And you see all these models and bloggers and, and fitness people that don't give good, valuable information or keep it real about like the phases of dieting or anything like that. They're just constantly shredded in booty shorts and they don't show you what they look like throughout the year. It's just all, you know, one thing. Um, and then, I mean, in a good example of this is why, like, I've been posting more shots of me, like, because I haven't been this lean in a really long time. That's why you only see these pictures right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's not healthy to stay super, super lean all the time. I'm going to try to stay pretty lean, but being shredded all the time, it's not helping people unless you're educating them along the way of what the yeah. difference is, which, you know, educated bodybuilders and bikini athletes, stuff like that do. Um, but even like, uh, I was talking to Shannon about this before, like, some, some of these like mom bloggers and fashion bloggers and stuff who look absolutely perfect every fucking day. And it's like their kids are dressed to the nine. Their like pantry is stacked and organized snacks perfectly. They're always wearing lipstick and having their hair up while they're just doing chores at the house. And you're just like, this is the fakest shit I've ever seen. There's no way that a real mom lives their life like that. It just doesn't happen. Like if you have kids, you know that that's just not how it is. Um, and it's the same thing with the whole like meme stuff of like, oh, you're an online coach. You got your feet up on the beach drinking yeah. a margarita. It's not how it is. Like, so I think that if you audit your social media for one, that's going to be a huge help because if you, if you continue to stare and look at these people and compare yourself to fake realities, basically, yeah. uh, you're gonna have an issue. Stop watching reality TV. If you do like, Real Housewives, Kardashian, all those things, that's the perfect example of like, it's a lot of it for one is they're just drama filled and just bitching and moaning at each other and shit like that. So it's not helping you. But a lot of it is just not real. You know, it's not real life. And if you compare yourself to that kind of shit all the time, it's not going to be healthy. Um, I've even seen uh, Russell Wilson's performance coach. He wrote that book. I can't remember what it's called. It's a really good book. But he even talks about he has his athletes and his high performers change the music they're listening to, change the TV shows they're listening to. And it's it's not necessarily because music is causing body dysmorphia necessarily, but it's negative. Yeah. So I think of it like, and I still really like rap music and hip hop, but if we really listen to what they're saying, how is that going to help me be a, a better husband to my wife? When they're just degrading women in every song. You know what I mean? Like, totally. I'm not going to lie. I like hip-hop sounds dope. I like it. But if you really listen to some of the lyrics, it's fucked up. Yeah. So, like, if you really want to change the way your mind's wired, and it, if it becomes an issue, you kind of have to audit all these things and remove a lot of them. Yeah. I think it starts with social media with the body image thing, yeah. you know? So many different aspects in your life that can influence that. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. It's hard, man. Um, cool people you hang around with too, everything. I mean, yep. it's, it's your environment as a whole, I think is the biggest thing for body dysmorphia. Yo-yo um, diet. And then the yo-yo diet thing is, I think that goes back to the education, mm -hmm. right? Listen to this podcast is a good example, but hire a coach. Like I think the thing a lot of people don't understand about yo-yo dieting too is like, so we have fat cells and fat tissue in our body that we want to burn off, right? And we want to lose. Well, we can shrink them and that's great, 
but a lot of times what they find when we see yo-yo dieting, so somebody who loses weight and gains it back, loses weight, gains it back, it's not a matter of like, okay, this fat tissue shrinks. So when like, so for example, at the beginning of my cut, I had, these are random numbers. I don't know how many fat cells you actually have and all that stuff, but let's say I have a hundred fat cells. Uh, when I go through the diet, I might still have a hundred fat cells right now. They're just much smaller because mm. I mobilized them. I, I, now you can remove them obviously, but a lot of times you're shrinking fat tissue and fat shells. Uh, you still have fat on your body. When I regain it, they will essentially kind of grow, right? Those fat cells that shrink will grow again. But what also they find happens is they multiply. So if you gain new fat tissues, now the next time you go to shrink them, you got more fat tissues to shrink, making it harder. And this is why when you yo-yo diet, you're shooting yourself in the foot because every time you lose and gain weight, it becomes more and more difficult, physiologically speaking, to lose more weight. So the best thing that you can do is be patient, commit to a long period of time, hire a coach and do it the right way. Like get educated and just be like, you know what? I'm done with this shit. I'm going to take all year to diet. Whether you hire a coach for this or not, take a full year and do it the right way. Be extremely patient, periodize it properly and do everything you possibly can to regain weight afterwards because it will literally make everything harder after the fact if you lose weight and regain it. Multiple times. Exactly. Yeah. The more you do it, the worse it is. The only time that I would say this isn't necessarily the case is with uh, intelligent bodybuilders because they don't take like in their off season, they put on a little bit of fat so they can build muscle and stuff, but they don't get obese. They don't get like fat. They just put on a little layer. And I think, I don't know for sure. Uh, if you guys read the book fat loss forever by Lane Norton, um, I'm actually bringing it up on the podcast with him. We're recording next week as we record this. So as you guys listen to this, I think we're recording it this week. Um, and, uh, that in his book, he talks about this. So, I'll bring it up with him, but it's a good, it's a good thing to like learn about because I don't know for sure if there's a threshold for it. Meaning like if you get like, cause a bodybuilder gets peeled. So like he drops a lot of body fat and then he comes back up to like a normal range. I don't know if it's when you exceed that normal range, you start multiplying fat tissue or it starts right away. Uh, but nonetheless, it's not good for you because you don't want more fat tissue and then it makes it harder. And I mean, not good for you as a health perspective. It's not good for your health, but it's even harder when you, uh, when you try to lose weight again in the future. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's my advice is commit to a longer period of time, periodize it, go slow. The The slower conservative approach is much better and find a way that you can adhere to so that it doesn't feel like you're dieting constantly. Totally. So. Cool. That was the last one for today. So, All right, guys, uh, <laughs> go check out all the free stuff that I dropped at the beginning, tailoredcoachingmethod.com, the blog, the guides, the coaching, the Taylor Trainer app, YouTube, all that stuff is there. As always, we appreciate you guys, and we will catch you next time. Peace.